0: The is volume 15, Vayeshev, the fourth sicha, which is also for Hanukkah. The title of this article on the sicha is Flowing Water and Pure Oil. Upon the verse in our Parsha describing the pit that Joseph's brothers put him in, it states the pit was empty, there was no water in it. Our sages teach, I quote, By inference from that which is stated, and the pit was empty, don't I know that there was no water in it? Rather, why does the verse say, there was no water in it? Because, it comes to emphasize, there was no water in it, but there were snakes and scorpions in it. End of the teaching. This teaching is taught in the section of the Talmud that speaks of Hanukkah. Now, Rashi explains the relationship as simply being being that Rabbi Tanchum is the one who said the previous statement, hence they bring this statement of his as well. Nevertheless, from the perspective of God's perfection placed within his Torah, definitely when a teaching is taught within the realm of a topic, there is most certainly a connection between the theme of the two, especially so that in our case there applies the teaching upon the beginning of our Parsha of Rabbi Isaac Halevi Horowitz, known as the Shelah, and he states that the portions of Vayeshev, Miketz, and Vayigash, which are always read on the Shabbatot around the Halle of Hanukkah, are connected with Hanukkah. So what is the connection? Our sages teach, and I quote you from the Talmud, and the reference to water refers only to the study of Torah. As it is stated with regard to Torah study, "Oh, all who are thirsty, go to water. Meaning that when the verse in our verse states, no water in it, it speaks metaphorically of Torah. As our sages teach upon our verse, Rav Acha said, the pit was empty. That means Jacob's pit was emptied. There was no water in it. It means there were in it no matters of Torah which are likened to water. Now the sages are telling us by their connecting these two teachings that when a mind pit is empty from Torah water's mind, the human mind. It doesn't attract and fill itself with mundane permissible thoughts, but rather it automatically fills itself with poisonous snakes and scorpions. Likewise, we find the teaching from the Baal Shem Tov on the verse of the Shema Yisrael, the second paragraph. It says, beware lest your heart be misled and you turn away and worship. And it goes on to say strange gods. That what does Baal Shem say, when a person separates himself from God, turns away, immediately he serves idols, and there is no intermediate between the turning away and the, and worships foreign gods. Now, with this, deep, with this deeper inter- understanding, we now understand why the verse needn't state that the pit was filled with snakes and scorpions. The verse doesn't say it. It just says there was no water. Since this is the immediate and definite outcome of the pit's being, there was no water in it. And so, too, we understand the connection between the two teachings, being that one depends on the other. The fact that there were snakes and scorpions in it is the outcome of there was no water in it which brought about the events contrary to Torah, the sale of Joseph into slavery. Questions. Number one, never mind the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, which talks about the fundamental, separates himself from God, inevitably leads to worship strange gods, at least in a dainty state of idol worship, and seeing any existence outside the oneness of God or, other, or under God's sole control. However, why must we say that by the simple lack of Torah orders, that it is inevitable to immediate and immediate that one turns to idol worship with no intermediate alternative possibilities? Number two, being that the brothers acted out of their understanding, that according to Torah law, and in the footnote I bring what the Torah law, according to the different commentaries, they felt that according to Torah law, Joseph was to be sentenced to death. Hence, how could the sages state that their doing was emptied of Jacob, there was no water in it, when they were actually following Torah law? Explanation. Let us begin with understanding what is meant with the Torah being compared to water. When we find other teachings comparing the Torah to bread, wine, oil, milk, etc. The meaning behind all these different comparisons is that Each is speaking of a different aspect of Torah. The Torah's comparison to water is due to, I quote to you the teaching from the Talmud, why are matters of Torah likened to water to tell you just as water leaves a high place and flows to a low place, so too Torah matters are retained only by one whose spirit is lonely, lowly, a humble person. Meaning, the comparison to water, according to this teaching, is not about the Torah itself, but about the self-negation necessary of the one studying the Torah. Hence, our sages speak not of Joseph's brothers being empty of Torah, but rather of their being selfless as befitting people of such high spiritual stature. That's what they were lacking. However, this explanation, while answering the second question, strengthens the first question. How can we say that the lack of water, which now means total selflessness, selflessness and self-negation in Torah study, that leads to immediate and inevitable snakes and scorpions, the antithetical concepts to the Torah? The answer is that the primary focus of Torah is that through it, the receiver connects and becomes one with the giver, God. And unto this end is a prerequisite, essential self-negation of the studier of Torah necessary. The reason being that as long as a studier sees himself as a something, he is thus limited to the capacity of being a finite creation, a something, and thereby incapable of uniting with the Torah's giver who is infinite. It is only through absolute self-negation of the studier that he gets his own finite capacities out of the way and is open to connect with the infinite giver. Now here we're going to mention two interesting teachings that become now understood through this insight. This is the meaning of our prayer. And may my soul be like dust to all, open my heart to your Torah. It is only through one's humility of being like dust. As the Talmud says, if a person makes himself humble like the wilderness upon which everyone treads, then will it be open my heart to your Torah. His Torah study will endure. And if not, his Torah study will not endure. Meaning that one. We are not speaking of opening the mind to the intellectual understanding, but of the heart to become one with the infinite giver, which leads to the second emphasis here is not on the Torah, but rather on the your Torah. Thus, we are praying that our intellectual diligence and efforts of study of the mind of God's Torah should be received eternally within his heart. That's the first thing we now understand. The second thing, we will now understand the concept of Torah study the law establishes. When a person thinks about the words of the Torah, he is not required to recite a blessing, for this is also considered as mere thought, and thought is not equivalent to speech and all that one studies and thought alone and is able to articulate, but does, and he doesn't, but does, does not fulfill with this the study obligation of the biblical commandment and you shall teach them. And more than this, the understanding of Torah depends upon its oral articulation. As our sages teach, I share with you from the Talmud, open your mouth and read from the Torah open your mouth and study, in order that your studies should endure, as it is stated, for they are life to those who find them. Now the Hebrew word for find them is lemotse Now the sages say, do not read to those who find them lemotse but rather to those who express them lemotse ahem with their mouths and As it says in Samuels, ordered in all things and secure, which indicates that if the Torah is ordered in all your 248 limbs, not just in your mouth, it will be secure. And if not, it will not be secure. Okay, now let's understand this. The law is that one who recites the words of the oral Torah without understanding them is not considered to study at all. Hence, why the importance of reciting Torah to the point of, one, without it, one doesn't make the blessing for learning Torah. Two, one does not fulfill his biblical obligation of, and you shall teach them. And three, his Torah his Torah study does not endure. Why? If it isn't even considered halachically learning unless, uh, when you say it. Now, Here, too, the explanation lay in that the primary focus of Torah study is that through it, we connect with its giver. And that way, the Torah is within the perspective of the giver. Hence, Torah study necessitates a total self-abnegation of the studier. This Soul uses by this higher, when he just studies by his higher faculty, that of intellect, then he remains within the confines of being a finite something and cannot grasp the infinite Torah of God. Hence, the sages tell us, there was once a student studying in a whisper and he forgot what he studied. Not so when the receiver descends into his his faculty of intellect, connecting it with his mouth and with his 248 organs, negating his ego of being a high intelligence something, he then opens himself up beyond his being a finite something that God's infinite Torah can be absorbed, internalized, and secure within him. With this, we now have an understanding to the teaching of us sages. There was no water in it, but there were snakes and scorpions in it. In the sense of when there is no self-negation in our Torah study, inevitably, we reach that which is contrary to Torah. Being that we are speaking here of the self-negation of being connected to the giver of the Torah. Hence, there is no intermediary stage between water and snakes and scorpions. One is either connected to the giver and hence open to the infinite truth of God's Torah or one is connected to finite self and is not only closed to the truth of the infinite Torah of God, Torah is not to be found in the Hori, but is and you turn away and worship against holiness. As the Talmud states, I quote to you, any person who has arrogance within him, the Holy One blessed be he said, he and I cannot dwell together, in the world. This is the meaning of the previous mentioned medrash on our verse. Jacob's pit was emptied. There were in it no matters of Torah. Joseph's brothers did study Torah and felt what they were doing to Joseph was according to the Torah's ruling. However, in alignment with their stature, they were lacking in their self-negation to the giver of the Torah and hence did not align with the true Torah verdict concerning Joseph's punishment. Now all of Israel's descent into Egypt, including its onset of Joseph descending to Egypt, and including even this detail of there was no water in it, but there were snakes and scorpions in it, is all for the purpose of the children of Israel receiving the Torah. Hence, Its entire teaching of the mandatory self-negation in Torah study in truth begins after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, being that becoming one with the giver of the Torah started primarily only at the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, not before. Let's understand this. Our sages teach us that our forefathers studied Torah, however, There is a huge difference between the Torah study of our forefathers and the Torah study of their offspring post the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Pre-giving of the Torah, it was the effort of the individual, the righteous few who aligned themselves with God's wisdom and will in order to be able to perceive God's Torah. Therefore, the Torah study was limited to the finite intellectual capacity of the studier. However, at Mount Sinai it was, I quote to you the words of the blessings on the Torah, and he gave us his Torah, and God gave it to each and every Jew. This includes you and I, as the law mandates that you and I make this blessing every day. Hence, the change was that now it's not through our alignment, but rather that God gave it to us. This explains the teachings of the sages, really interesting teaching, it says in the Talmud, initially Moses would study Torah and forget it until it was given to him as a gift, as it is stated, and we quote the verse, and he gave it to Moses when he concluded speaking with him. Now, the obvious question here is that prior to Moses, we said our patriarchs and then the tribe of Levi in Egypt, of which Moses was a member, he was a Levite, all studied Torah and in a yeshiva style, which means that they clearly did not forget, continuously forget the Torah they learned. Hence, why Moses suddenly now, after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, is forgetting the Torah? The explanation is That prior to the giving of the Torah, in which the Torah they studied was only that which was in reach of the finite human mind, and thus it was they were able to contain it. However, now, after the giving of the Torah, God gave Moses his Torah, God's Torah, above and beyond the finite capacity of the human mind. And therefore, Moses was not able to contain it of his own until God gave it to Moses as a gift And only then was Moses able to contain it, being that God is omnipotent, in which uniting the infinite and the finite is possible. Hence, God's gift made it possible for the finite human mind to contain within it God's infinite Torah. Nevertheless, the prerequisite for each and every Jew to be able to contain God's infinite gift is our service of self-negation. Not because God's omnipotence is limited to this prerequisite, but only because God, in his infinite love for us, did not want us to have the experience bread of shame, but to rather have the additional gift of being able to earn God's gift. Hence, our job of self-negation, allowing for us to get beyond our finite limitations and to open up to receive God's infinite Torah. Now we'll understand the answer to our opening question. What is the connection between this teaching and Hanukkah? Why? Our sages teach us the emphasis of our Hanukkah prayer in which we say, quote, rose up against your people Israel to make them forget your Torah. In that the Greeks did not want to abolish the Torah itself, but the divinity of it being your Torah. This is the reason that we see in the Talmud and Shabbat. It tells us the story: when the Greeks entered the sanctuary, they defied, filed all the oils that were in the sanctuary, rather than destroyed all the oil. They left the oil; they just defied, defiled it. Mystically speaking, oil represents the emanation of wisdom. The Greeks were in total agreement for Israel to have the wisdom of Torah. However, they wanted it to be defiled from the holiness of Torah, that there be no unification with the giver of the Torah. Now, this explains why God made the miracle that there be one jug of pure oil. Now, I just want you to know that this seemingly is a miracle in vain because the Torah law says that impurity is permitted in cases involving the public. And being that the menorah was lit for the the entire Jewish people, they could have used impure oil. However, because the victory of Hanukkah is based upon pure oil and of your Torah, and therefore God did the miracle. And just as the water of Torah protects us, protects one from snakes and scorpions, so too the Hanukkah light of pure oil brings about the, the law is you can light it until the traffic of the people of Tarmud cease. Now, that means they're the last stragglers that walk in the streets. However, Kabbalah says that the word Tarmud in Hebrew spell out the letters Moredet, which means a rebel against God. Therefore, he's saying, when there is lacking pure oil, your Torah, there is still room for the more against God. As it says, and you turn away, leads inevitably to and worship other gods. However, by lighting the Hanukkah lights at the entrance to one's house on the outside, illuminating the outside so that Tadmor seizes, even in the marketplace, and even the traffic, literally it says the feet of Tadmor seizes, illuminating the darkness of exile and bringing the true and complete redemption imminently, amen.